everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to NJF's second podcast. Uh, my name is Heidi. I will be moderating the podcast today. It's going to be called um, How to Engineer an Inclusive Community. Um, so my name is Heidi. I am a PhD student at the U of A. Uh, I'm a U of A alumni as well. I have my bachelor's and master's from there in environmental engineering. And I'm currently the um, chair of the Women in Diversity Subcouncil for NJF. So we have three incredible panelists with us today. Um, so thankful to have them here and for taking time out of their very busy schedules um, to be here with us. So we're very lucky. Um, so before we get started, I'd just like to do a land acknowledgement. So right now, um, I am on Treaty 6 territory and so is the U of A. So I just want to acknowledge that this is the traditional land of the First Nations and Métis people. So um, with that, I will have our three panelists introduce themselves. Um, so I guess we'll get started with Sandra, if you can say your name and title and a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so my name's Sandra Egglore. I'm in my last year of mechanical engineering co-op at the University of Alberta. Perfect. And Jessica, go ahead. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Jessica Vandenberg, and I am the Assistant Dean of Outreach at the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Alberta and an Industrial Professor of Indigenous Engineering. Um, I'm of Dene Ta descent and was raised in a very inclusive German family here in Alberta. So I'm born and raised in Alberta. And today also finds me on Treaty 6 territory. And last but not least. My name is Anja Mullock and I'm the Director of Engineering Services with the City of Edmonton. Perfect. Okay, so I will sort of ask some questions and then just chime in, speak to whatever you'd like to. So I guess our first question will be, can you describe for our listeners the difference between diversity, inclusion, and equity, and why you believe they're really vital in the workplace and engineering workplaces as well? So to me, diversity really has to do with the uniqueness of the person. So um, different races, different cultural backgrounds, even different professional experience, um, age, disability. So um, diversity really has to do with how each person is unique. And then to me, inclusion is really about the culture of the workplace. So you can have a diverse workforce, but if you don't have an inclusive environment where people are accepting of ideas and new perspectives, diversity really isn't allowed to thrive. So they both kind of work hand in hand to create um, a really nice workplace. So for me, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, I would define very similarly. So the diversity is celebrating everybody's, everybody in their own authenticity. Um, and so whether that's wherever they have grown up, their experiences and thoughts and feelings that they've had because of that, because of their spiritual journeys and emotional and uh, journeys, um, as well as for the biological side of them as well, if they come and their journey took them along a path with um, physical disability or, or mental disability that they are still valued as um, people that can contribute to society and they should be given a fair a fair approach I guess that it that allows them to be included and so the idea of inclusion um, is to be able to accommodate any sort of diversity um, in your background or experience to allow you to contribute in in my case to the engineering profession and engineering that you have. You have equity then is building the frameworks and organizations and policies and attitudes um, amongst leadership especially that are needed to um, 
to buy into this idea of diversity inclusion and really truly live it. Okay, and anything else to add to that one? Okay, so our next question then would be, what would you say is the biggest misconception that needs to be addressed when talking about EDI, equity, diversity, inclusion, um, just sort of in general? Are there any big misconceptions that you think um, people might have about those topics? I'll jump in here. This is Anjum. I think um, based on my experience, one of the biggest misconceptions is that EDI means lowering standards or competencies to allow for greater diversity. Uh, you'll often hear if we set objectives, oh, that's quotas. Um, and now we're just letting anyone in. And that is absolutely not the case. I would agree with that too, that that's often, it often feels like it's in competition, um, that for the engineering profession, it, it, it is fairly male dominated still. Uh, we know that there's about 22% women roughly um, in the engineering profession. Um, and often when we start conversations about equity, diversity, inclusion, often it feels like competition, like validation, um, that it is taking away from the culture that, that, the, that folks are, are currently comfortable with. But it's not, it's just opening the door uh, to make it a little bit more flexible, that's all. And so for our next question, I'll have each of you sort of answer this. Um, so in your engineering career so far, have there been any situations, experiences, or circumstances that have had an impact, positive or negative, on your career or work life that you feel others can learn from in terms of creating, creating an inclusive environment for everybody? Uh, I can start. Uh, I, I won't focus on the... Um the negative things, because I think all of us have experienced quite a bit of <laughs> of that in our, our careers, unfortunately. Uh, but something that was very impactful for me, uh, I had moved into a um, into a discipline, the project management discipline, when I was working in the private sector, which was very male dominated, uh, even more so than the other disciplines of of engineering. So among about 220 project managers at the time. There were only four of us that were women, and I was the only one that was at a project director role. And I had transferred from a different division, and so there was some uh, pay uh, issues looking at salary and what would be uh, fair compared to my counterparts. And my supervisor at the time, she had given me a, a range, which she thought was fair and she had to take that up the food chain and so when I got my letter it was actually um, higher than what we had discussed and so I had said to her oh you know I received my letter and this is really exciting I just want to make sure it's not a mistake because this is different than what we discussed and to make a long story short I mean she basically went to bat for me um, in discussions with the director of the area at the time, uh, once she had the full picture of what, in this case, majority men were earning, um, I would have never known. I would have been very happy with the salary that she had discussed with me. And to me, that just represented uh, so much in terms of integrity uh, when it comes to EDI. It's what you're doing uh, in front of people, but also more importantly, behind closed doors. That's fantastic. Who wants to go next, Jessica or Sandra? All right. So, yeah, my career hasn't 
quite took off yet because I'm still a student at the U of A, but I would say from my co-op experiences, um, one of the employees at my last co-op told me, you know, we really enjoy having co-ops um, come a part of our team because we're kind of fresh eyes on the company. We can kind of look at different processes and see how to improve certain things, what works and what doesn't. Um, so throughout my various co-ops, there have been different opportunities where I've seen a process, a way of doing something, and I thought it could be done better, it could be more efficient and improved. So whenever I would, you know, go up to my supervisors or any of the other employees and let them know, hey, I'm kind of thinking about this idea, what do you think? They're always like, yes, like 100%, go for it. And I think that that's just, it really creates an inclusive environment because they're so accepting to like the new ideas and all of these kind of different perspectives that you don't usually get unless you have, you know, fresh eyes on the company. So I think that's, that's definitely a positive impact that I've had with my experiences. Uh, so me, um, um, similar to Anjama, I don't think I'll concentrate on the negative because there are quite a few stories that we could share about the negative, mm -hmm. but a few tidbits that um, have helped me along the way is um, the idea of role modeling and, and mentorship. And I know that idea has been around for a while, but I know for me in my career, it has benefited me a lot. Um, the little pieces of advice that um, I've heard from both female and male um, leadership, um, some of those pieces were um, know when to speak up, that there is a time and place to speak up. And, and if you are speaking up in a minority position to make sure that you have your homework done and you're um, thoughtful in, in how that will go, um, but also be prepared for if it goes sideways and how to handle that situation. I am very thankful for male allies and sponsors um, that I've had over the years, people who represent me and and um, and advocate for me in rooms that I'm not in, um, to both to be hired as well as for promotions and for um, opportunities. I'm very thankful for that. Another thing that has stood out to me as well um, is that uh, it, it helps if you have, again, a plan. Um, so when opportunities come for you to have a one-on-one -on -one with a, a, a CEO or a leader in your organization, that you use those opportunities, that you think through, okay, um, I'm gonna chat about this and, and this is the, what I want that person to walk away with. So putting some thought into that. As well, when I was younger in my career, I was a lot more introverted and I was extremely quiet. And so what I appreciate uh, from places that I've been in is when they do round tables or circles um, where they give everybody a chance to speak. Otherwise, I find um, around the boardroom tables and stuff, it will be dominated by folks that are quite pushy in their opinion. Um, and then me as an introverted person in the beginning of my career would never speak up. And then those opportunities would pass by. So I appreciate leaders that hold circles and give everybody the space and the time to pause to listen to those stories. The last thing that I want to mention as well, when it comes to creating an inclusive environment is um, as an indigenous person, there are larger uh, government systems and systematic oppression that is in play. It took me a while to learn about these, um, as well as it has taken a while for leaders that I've had um, that are no longer my leaders to also learn about these things. And I've had a few of them come back to me and say, I'm sorry. Um, and I wish 
when um, I was leading you, we had approached this differently. And so I appreciate, um, number one, that they come back and that they're still in my life um, as mentors and thinking partners. I mean, that they did uh, apologize for that. Um, and I say to them, like, I'm not here for an apology. I'm here because I, I trust you and, and I know you are helping me along the way. But learning the Indigenous stories and having that built into professional development and personal development does help um, the Indigenous people. Fantastic. Yeah, you've made some um, really good points just now about sort of what kind of improvements and suggestions um, can be made. Are there any other sort of suggestions you might have that, you know, the U of A or workplaces or just the engineering community in general can make to really um, generate more inclusivity? From a workplace uh, perspective, uh, it's really important to start with having inclusive policies and practices that are not only developed, but actually embedded in your culture. So that comes back to the diversity versus inclusion piece, because you can have all the policies you want, but if you're not affecting any sort of culture change, um, you're not going to advance. And, uh, and really those policies um, and practices need to be focused on removing barriers, um, as Jessica had pointed out too. It's, it's really not the responsibility of those that are in oppressed or underrepresented groups to affect that change. It's people that are in leadership that are in positions of power, influence, and decision-making. Uh, so I, I would say first and foremost, that is absolutely necessary in a workplace, recognizing that there's an issue and then actually doing something about it. Um, and holding your um, executive accountable. We're seeing a lot of global companies now, Husky uh, being one very recently, Capital Power, that are tying EDI uh, key performance indicators to executive compensation. So it comes back to the adage of what gets measured gets done. And then tying that back again to the misconception that an objective is all of a sudden a quota. No, uh, I'm pretty sure you can find qualified people that are in these underrepresented groups if you're actually held accountable to it. I would add that too as well. That's exactly what I would have said in as well, that it, it, it lies in policy. Um, and the GBA plus the gender-based analysis plus um, tool is a great one for when writing policy. Um, I know that one is, is issued by the Government of Canada and the Women of Sta uh, Status of Women uh, portfolio. But if you take that training, it can also be applied um, for engineering project scoping. And it should be considered to be used in different ways other than just policy as well. But it is vital that it be used for policy um, because it uh, allows people to think about the different hats that you put on in order to look through different lenses um, to see if a, a policy is truly inclusive and creating a fair and transparent process. I'd also like to agree that leadership role modeling of good behavior is important. The little things like calling out um, little comments that are made, being an ally and, and, um, and promoting and, and uplifting stories, recognizing people, um, all little things that leaders who are in visible authority positions can influence culture change on those things. And that being said, even having consequences um, around um, some very blatant things that are not inclusive in organizational culture. Anything to add, Sandra? Those were all, yeah, pretty good points for sure. I would say 
leadership is definitely one way that we can make more improvements. You know, everybody has a say. And if you see something that's not quite right, or if you just want to make a change, you can really bring that up and really drive some conversations. Just, oh, sorry, Heidi, I was going to add from a, like a university perspective, it's really looking at uh, a diverse makeup of your professors. And I, I would say having some mandatory training for both the student body as well as the professors. Uh, I still hear, unfortunately, I won't date myself, but <laughs> years have passed since I completed my undergrad. And I still hear the same stories from young women in their first and second year engineering being faced with some very discriminatory and harassing behavior from their uh, fellow students. Yeah, absolutely. And this is um, kind of touched on this question as well. But, you know, what can um, a person who's listening to this right now, what can they do to help to engineer an inclusive community if they're not like currently in a leadership position just yet? So I, I believe that people can lead from any position that they're in and you can influence where you can. Again, knowing and judging the right moment to speak in the right moment to advocate in the right moment um, to go home and complain to your own uh, support group that you have. Um, but the little things that people can do um, at any point is just appreciate diversity. And so the it, it's always an inner outer kind of journey that you need to look at your own self-awareness and, and your own biases. And I know myself growing up in rural Alberta, I was adopted um, as part of a, the, the 60s group. And um, when coming to Edmonton, um, I was a bit shocked at the stereotypes that I carried with me from the community that I grew up in. And it took a lot of um, hard looking at myself to um, readjust those and, and drop some of those stereotypes and unconscious bias that I came with. So the thing that um, people can do is is look at themselves for sure and, and keep practicing and, and trying every day to be better. Uh, when you look at somebody, when people look at me, I want them to see me in all my color. I want to see them see me in all my um, beauty of, of how I came to be where I am and acknowledge that and just appreciate me for my individuality um, and my authenticity. And that's just a, a little thing that someone can do. Yeah, I would definitely say being aware of your own biases is, is huge when it comes to engineering a more inclusive community. Um, just knowing why, you know, you, you're drawn to certain ideas or certain aspects of a situation rather than others and just making sure that you, you just be aware of that and also keeping an open mind, I think, is really huge. Um, whether it's just like hearing out somebody's perspective. Um, we're seeing how they would approach a problem differently, uh, just giving everybody the chance really to to come forward and express themselves um, really creates a nice inclusive community. Okay, and so um, another question. So Black Lives Matter, Indigenous rights and the rights of people of color are now more than ever being brought to the forefront of our society. How do we amplify those voices and truly be an ally? Well, it goes back to a bit of what we were discussing previously. I mean, I think first and foremost, you have to believe that you can actually affect change and help create a world where everyone feels 
safe and supported to live authentically and and you in fact want to be part of that change and you use your privilege we all have privilege to help those that are oppressed and underrepresented and i would say as an ally in particular i'm also a racialized uh woman but first generation born in in canada so right then and there i have privilege over people that are immigrants here that may not have a Canadian accent, who may not have been educated in Canada. My role as an ally in that regard is to amplify amplify those voices, but not be their voice. I'm not the primary spokesperson. I don't have that lived experience. In my thoughts for how to be a good ally, there's a number of attributes that, that make a good ally. Um, all the way from just being uh, having the humility to realize that uh, you can't speak on behalf of other folks and you haven't lived the experience but you can um, you need empathy you need compassion you need curiosity um, but the biggest thing the biggest attribute that i kind of want to chat about today is that of listening a good ally has to be a good listener and this isn't always something that's easy you know to say it, people say, oh yeah, for sure I'm a good listener, you can sit there and listen. But there's a lot more to it than that. It's making safe places where, number one, stories are believed, right? When I tell some of the harder negative stories of things that have happened to me, I've sat in the company of people before where they say, oh, that couldn't have happened, or you must be mistaken, or you know what, that person didn't mean it that way, or, you know, and, and it comes across very dismissive. And that isn't a safe place. That's not a place of someone who believes me or or uh, what I would say was an ally. To invalidate feelings is not helpful. So some of the tips I would give, I just read an article on this. So they came, a lot of these came from that article. Some uh, things for being able to be a good listener, uh, maintaining good eye contact, right? Don't engage with other activities. I know uh, we all have the habit of looking at our phones and playing along and maybe watching the TV and things like that, um, listening for feelings, asking for those cues, observing body language, refusing to interrupt even when thoughts come, um, letting those pass by, asking reflective questions, offering empathy and not sympathy. I remember talking with a male friend once and they were very confused the difference between empathy and sympathy and said, there's a big difference. Understand when you express something back to that person, being thoughtful in what you're expressing back. Is it opinion? Is it, will it come across as criticism? And just asking what else you can do for that person. So I'll say that one way of being a true ally is listening. That's a huge part of it. Uh, definitely being open to the conversation and being engaged in the conversation is really important. I would also say that as an ally, it's important to uh, educate yourself and ask questions uh, to be more knowledgeable about the movement as a whole and the goals of the movement. This way you can kind of see where you fit in in the grand scheme of things and then how you can use your position to amplify the voices around you. And then lastly, I would say that a true ally is someone who's constantly present. So I know with social media, sometimes like a video would surface and then 
there's everybody saying, oh, hashtag Black Lives Matters, hashtag Indigenous Lives Matter, and then it kind of fades away until the next video surfaces. So I would say an ally is someone who's constantly present no matter what stage of the movement or the cycle that we're currently going through, and is just someone who's actively listening and supporting their friends, their peers, their colleagues, and actively looking for new ways to amplify the voices around them and create positive change. I'll add one last thing um, around being comfortable with being uncomfortable and having those conversations continuing outside of big events like Pride or Orange Shirt Day or a Black Lives Matter rally. Uh, showing up for those sorts of things is great, but continuing on with the conversation is far more important. Perfect. And um, another question is, uh, many people are not comfortable talking about race when it comes to equity, diversity, and inclusion. So what suggestions do you have where you can bring race into that conversation? So I know for me, uh, to bring race into the conversation, um, anyone that I've chatted with about it, I say, for me personally, um, it's okay to ask me the blunt question and it's okay to ask me um, directly because there is very little that offends me. And that that's, that is because of a lot of the things that happened to me as a kid. I mean, that, that was where I went. I went to a place of freeze and endure and be resilient um, to let these things slide off my back because I had to. Otherwise, I wouldn't have made it through my childhood. And so I say you can ask the questions and, and let's just talk about it. And not, I know not everybody is comfortable with that. Everybody's in a different place in their journey. And so um, I say you can approach the conversation, always approach with curiosity and compassion. So saying something like, oh, I'm, I'm curious to hear about your people's ancestry and, and their story. Um, how did you come to be in Canada or how did you come to be here? Um, and just using words like curious in a very neutral tone. And you can tell fairly quickly if someone wants to talk about it or someone doesn't. And if someone doesn't, you just you stop the conversation and, and you move on. Yeah, I would say it kind of ties into my other point before. I think people are uncomfortable because they don't want to offend someone. They don't want to say the wrong thing and then have it not really be communicated the way that they intended. Um, so I think a big thing with that was really just to to be involved in the conversation, be engaged with them and ask them questions. Because I know I've told some of my friends, like, if you have questions, just come to me. Like, I would rather you just come to me and then I can tell you myself than it just like end up not not going well for you further down the road. So I think just just being taking that first step and just understanding that you have a role to play also and being engaged and and just being willing to learn. I think a point that Anjum made earlier is important to mention at this point too, is that like one thing that happens um, is that often people will come up and think that we may be speaking on behalf of a, a larger cohort of people. <laughs> we speak on behalf of ourselves in our own journey. And so just being careful um, just because I'm of Indigenous background doesn't mean I speak on behalf of every single Indigenous person in Canada. I can offer you my opinion, but it is my personal opinion. Wonderful. Okay, so one of the last questions here is, 
sort of overarching, why do you believe that EEI is really the future to engineering, but really not just engineering, sort of society in general? Um, why do you believe it's so important and how it's going to play an important role going forward? I can start. Uh, I, I will, maybe we'll focus a bit on the engineering side first. Our, our profession is all about problem solving and improvement and, and advancement and innovation. And it's also a, it's a highly skilled profession uh, that has a significant societal impact. I mean, everything you interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, maybe with the exception of humans and your pets, has <laughs> had an engineer uh, involved in, in that. And so there's a lot of research that shows that diversity will keep the profession, any profession or any business workplace, innovative and leading edge. And there's a lot of research shows that there's greater financial, uh, better financial outcomes, successful in retaining and recruiting top talent. You have greater productivity. Um, all of these things that from a business perspective, any employer would want. And so I think it is important from just that pragmatic, practical perspective. From a community perspective, why wouldn't you want to know someone in their wholesome, authentic fashion. There's so much more to learn when you are interacting with people that are different from you. For me, diversity is key to everything, um, not just engineering. Um, we're a multicultural world and uh, more importantly, an international world. So in non-COVID times, it's fairly easy to travel from place to place. And so that means diversity is being introduced all the time to places that it wasn't always there. And so for the engineering profession, as uh, Anjum had mentioned, like diversity is key for innovation, um, to create, um, for risk assessment and be able to see from multiple perspectives what could possibly go wrong. So a project is delivered even stronger, but also for community engagement and stakeholder engagement, learning how to approach different groups of people um, is well advised from people who are from those groups, right? And so doing community engagement, especially, for example, for civil engineers is important um, because everything is done for community. And so this idea of bringing someone in who understands that culture and approach um, and that we are open to a different approach um, is, is an important part and, and diversity is so key for that. Taking from the Indigenous people and some of the teachings that I've had, even applying this idea of interconnectedness to uh, risk assessment and stakeholder analysis is important that we need to think beyond the impact of our decisions just on people and community as well, but also extend that to um, the plants and the animals and the water and the air and the, the spirits and those things. And I know the engineering profession has expanded to include the environment, but truly thinking what that means to include the environment and reconciling with water spirit and land spirit and things like that for the impact of our projects, especially for things like resource exploitation, ex, um, resource extraction projects and things like that, like thinking through the impact on everything and not just immediately into the future for seven generations. Yeah, I would say when I think of engineering, I think of innovation and innovation really thrives because there is diversity 
right? So uh, kind of adding to your guys' points, I think if you put people with similar experiences, um, similar backgrounds in like a meeting room to solve a problem, they'll all probably come up with kind of a similar idea or agree with one another in one way. But, you know, if you have people of different backgrounds, people of different levels of experience, um, different ages, you'll really be able to drive different conversations and come up with multiple different solutions and walk out of that meeting room, maybe not knowing what the next step is, but you have all of these wonderful ideas and different paths that you can go down. So I think innovation is a really huge part of the engineering workplace and the community. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Um, those are sort of all of the questions that I had prepared, but are there any final thoughts or anything else that you would like to touch on? We still have a few minutes left. Uh, for me, I, I'm, I'm excited about the future as um, we see more of these discussions coming to the forefront. And it's not that these issues didn't exist before, but with social media, it, it's really amplified. And I think we're seeing more people that are engaged than would have been in the past. And, and I'm quite hopeful, as I said, that we are on the cusp of some significant societal change uh, in this regard. Yeah, I would agree. My final thoughts are, are that I am hopeful for the future, um, for my kids and my future grandkids, maybe if they come, um, but for future generations that I think we are at a pivotal point in society where we're gaining the, the critical mass that's needed to make some change. Um, the hard part is that, of course, some of these things are built into larger systems that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? And so um, until um, there's enough voice to make change for these larger systems, um, we need to still be speaking up um, appropriately and putting information out there and sharing and, and supporting each other and, and being open to, to, to gradually shifting the needle. But that happens one conversation at a time sometimes. So I am grateful for um, this podcast and the folks that listen to it and hope that it inspires folks to continue the conversation. Yeah, definitely. I would say change is definitely coming soon, I hope. I, I feel like everybody can kind of see it, like something feels different this time about it. So um, I'm hopeful that it'll come. It'll probably be a slow process, as we know. Um, as Jessica mentioned, there's a lot of systems in place that need to change and that change people are resistant to change always so um, it'll be a while but yeah hopefully everybody enjoys this podcast and it's been great being a part of it perfect well thank you all i think we'll end on that really positive note then thank you all again for uh taking time out of your afternoon and for all of your thoughts and your experiences it's been really great and uh i'm sure we'll be involved with you all again soon i hope <laughs> steal some more of your time <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>